0: My name is Laura Max-Rose, and I have two girls and two very full hands. Parenting is one of the most intense, rewarding, and all-consuming adventures I've ever been on. And wherever you are in your journey, you're not alone. This podcast is where I ask all of my parenting questions and share the answers I find with you. We're all in this together, and I'm so glad you're here. Sit back, relax. You're listening to Look Ma No Hands. Welcome back to Look My No Hands. It's been a minute, hasn't it? I am your host, Laura Max Rose, and I'm so thrilled to be joining you wherever you are today. My guest today, Vleemi Heller, also known as Unconditional Parenting on Instagram. If you follow her, if you don't, I highly recommend it is a very special person, and I am so grateful to be able to share her wisdom with you today. She is a parenting coach, a child advocate, and so much more. And before I let you hear directly from Bleamy, I want to tell you what I personally love about her and the ways that she has just totally permeated my life as a parent. Um, I I really do believe Bleamy is an incredibly sensitive soul, which I relate to. And as a parent, um, I do believe that she has channeled that into truly understanding her children and fostering deep connections with them and helping parents do the same. One thing I notice about all the parenting people that I follow on Instagram, which is sort of part of the game when you're a parent and a podcast host who talks about parenting all the time, is that there's a lot of good guidance out there. There's also a lot of not so good guidance out there. Um, But sometimes when you get that good guidance that can be really mind-blowing and makes you want to change the way you're doing something, there's very little conversation about how genuinely difficult it is to move from one type of parenting, perhaps the type of parenting that you grew up with, to the type that you aspire to. And we don't talk about that process very much. So a lot of us, and I speak very much for myself, end up getting this information. Oh my goodness, okay, I want to foster more connection with my child. I don't want to threaten him or her as often. Um, And here's a really great way to do that. Here's a piece of advice from somebody I am following or reading about. And I'm going to get it right once, and then it's going to be really, really hard after that. Or I'm going to have a really hard time believing that it's the right thing to do. So I think a lot of us, if we were raised in a certain way and we're trying to do something differently, we have a lot of feelings about that. You know, am I spoiling my kid? Am I letting them get away with something? There's this process that we're having, right? And then it becomes very difficult to really change the behavior. And we start telling ourselves that we're inadequate, we're not doing a good enough job. We're not able to transition from this one way of doing things to another quickly enough and all hope is lost and kind of makes the whole parenting thing suck because we feel badly about ourselves the whole time we're actually trying to do things better and have a happier Family life, right? Um, it's not supposed to be miserable, but for for many of us and myself, very much included, it has been um, many a time because I'm I'm just like okay, here I have this information, I know how how to do this better intellectually, but I don't feel it in my heart yet, and I'm having such a hard time um, really putting these changes to work. Um, what Bleamy does is she really discusses that process. And she's very candid about her own parenting journey. She'll talk about how in raising her children, you know, she started off doing things one way, there were a lot of threats being made, or, or she'll she'll discuss that. The way that she was doing things and then transitioning to the way that she's doing them now being a process that really took her years. And she'll say, you know, it took like Two or four years, I can't remember exactly how many, um, to really stop threatening my children to get them to do what I wanted them to do. And maybe you're listening to this and you're like, what's wrong with making a threat? Like, if my kid's not going to sleep um, and I need them to go to bed, like, of course, I'm going to say to them, hey, if you don't go to bed right now, like, I'm taking this away from you in the morning. I've been there, I still do this sometimes. I will tell you, I do it so much less. And what's really cool, is that I don't even feel like normal doing it anymore. So it used to be like this really natural thing for me. Um, it was sort of my default. And now like when it does come out of my mouth, I'm like, oh, that's so bizarre. Like what a weird thing to say. Um, so I, uh, I I love that about her, that she kind of helps. She's the first person I've ever really spoken to that's really helped me like transition on a soul level to like the why. Like why am I doing this? Why am I not threatening my children anymore? And why am I focusing on connection and also speaking to how long it can really take to go from one way of doing something to another so that you don't feel alone and you don't feel crazy? And she fosters these conversations on her Instagram with parents who are kind of going through it at the same time. Um, and I I just I absolutely adore her. and the way that my connection with my children has been influenced, just from knowing her, following her, and from this interview, um, has been so positive. I would say her her over her the biggest the biggest takeaway I've gotten from Bleamy is just focusing on that connection with our children. That that really is the bottom line and the basis for everything else. The cooperation that we crave, the relationship that we crave, um, all the other little problems like when we focus on that connection. Um, They seem to be a lot easier to manage, and um, I love the way she gets me thinking and gets me thinking about my relationship with my children. I also asked her a question on this podcast, which blew my mind. Her answer blew my mind. I asked her what parents come to her about the most often, and she said, well, they come to me about their integrity children, as though I was supposed to know what that was. And I said, well, I'm sorry. I don't know what an integrity child is. And she said, well, there are integrity children. And there are harmony children, and the parents of integrity children are the ones that I speak to the most often. So I'm not going to tell you what an integrity child is and what a harmony child is. If you don't already know, I want you to listen to this interview, hear what she has to say, um, let your mind be blown. And thank you again, Bleemi, for coming on the show. Thank you all for listening. Here's Bleemi Heller. I am so thrilled to be joined today by someone I have followed so avidly on Instagram since I discovered her account. One month ago. You know those people you just wish you could talk to in real life. One of the coolest parts of doing this is that I actually get to. So welcome to the show, Bleemi Heller, the founder and starter of the account Unconditional Parenting, which many of you are probably following on Instagram. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It truly is such a great um, position that you're in where you get to actually speak to all these people that you admire from afar or you're interested in hearing more about them
0: well I love understanding people's stories and where they're coming from and Instagram as we know only gives us just a small piece of that and especially when it comes to accounts like yours you clearly have a lot of wisdom you call yourself not only a parent coach but a child advocate which I've never spoken to a parenting coach who who refers themselves that way and I've spoken to a lot of parenting coaches and I love that so now I kind of yeah I get to know the story behind that and I get to know more of your story. And I wanna say for everyone listening right now, this is so cool, you can't see our video. I don't I don't burden myself or my guests by sharing the videos of our chats, but I can see Bleemi right now. And it became very obvious to me right away that she is a tribe member, which if you don't know, we're both Jewish, which just warms my heart. <laughs> and um, immediately feel this just total connection with her because of that. So I'm gonna kind of ask her about her um, life experience and how that shaped the way that she raises her children. Um, she's the parent to two girls. And um, I always know intuitively that when somebody is like you, when somebody shares guidance, like I'm just gonna read some of some of what you, um, you posted this this morning. In the moments when we are desperately trying to gain our child's cooperation, we tend to only focus on what we need from our child and forget about what our child might need from us. However, considering our children's needs is not only important, It's also the path to cooperation. I don't believe anybody comes up with that because they woke up one day and decided, you know, I'm gonna be a really great parent today. I think we come up with those things because we've had our own experiences and we want to do things differently with our own children. So I wanna start this interview by asking you what motivated you to become a parenting coach and a child advocate in your own experiences. So
1: it wasn't, um, I always wanted to be a good parent, right? But yeah. then when I started being a parent, I honestly just repeated what my parents did, a lot of what they did, not everything. And I kind of was heading down the same path even though I didn't want to, which just shows how strong our conditioning is, you know and yes. how strong it, it doesn't is. matter if you don't want to. It yeah, like it doesn't matter exactly that you don't. All want I knew to. it's the experience that I had, that's why I often talk about how much the experience that our children have really informs so much of who they are and what they do, all of us really. And so not so much what we're told you know right anyway so and i headed down this path and really i was struggling with my oldest child and that's really what led me down this path of having so i always knew i wanted this kind of but really led me down a path of information about attachment and relationship and child development i started you know um when she was around four years old my oldest that's when i sort of started meaning when i was a child it was much more instinctual And I was like, I want to be this kind of parent. Whereas when I became a parent and started heading down this path, it was much more intentional and much more information based and much more right. So I had a lot more um, information really than I had when I I started. And I really started devouring that information. It kind of became an obsession really. it really was, totally it. What it was a total obsession. I totally. It. I can't even tell you how many books I've read and how many lectures I've listened to on the topic. And it really, really, it, it spoke to my inner child, right? It was like, yes, this is what I've been looking for. And that really helped me then start really integrating that. And that's really what led me to eventually sharing it with other parents as well. It really was a natural outgrowth of that.
0: Well, I want to talk about how in the beginning, you know, you were, you wanted, you wanted something different. But it was pretty much impossible for you not to repeat what had been done to you and i just want to speak to that because i think so many of us in so many areas of our lives we want to do something differently but we're stuck because of things that are really outside of our control and often what we need is other people a therapist a group whatever it is but doing it alone is like next to impossible so if that's you listen
1: yeah, definitely gone to therapy and yeah you need to go yeah, 100%, yeah there's no way i needed to do inner work Yes, um, I still need, just need to do continue to do it um, Doing you know, it by
0: yourself with a book is not really but what yeah. I love about what you just said is that your children. I mean, you didn't do all this work like before they were born. This was something that you figured out when your oldest was four
1: or so or Correct. Correct. Exactly. Well, I mean, instinctively, intuitively, I didn't want to do certain things. But yes, when I really, really, really headed down this path or started really doing this stuff was only once my oldest was four.
0: I think we have this idea because there's so much quote research out there about, I I watched something on Oprah the other day about like how the first two months of a baby's life are like the most important. And I'm like, well, I'm like, I don't even remember. (laughs) I don't even remember the first two months of someone's life. Like, hope I didn't screw that up. And so a lot of it is kind of like setting us up for absolutely feeling like we're going to fail even if we decide to start right now and four is still so young so I think I would love to hear about as you sort of began to evolve and change did you notice these changes in your children do you feel like it's never really too late
1: absolutely by the way and I work with clients who have started this when their children were teenagers literally I just had a client reach out to me the other day her her oldest is I think I believe he's 15 and she started two years ago and it's been an uphill battle I'm not going to lie It's definitely been hard for her because she has to shift everything when he's used to a certain pattern, he's used to things being a certain way. And now everything's shifting and she has to also regain his trust and all that. But she's seeing those moments where he trusts her and he shares things with her. And he, and, and so she actually sent me a message saying like, thanks for believing in me and allowing me to believe in myself that this is actually possible. It was so heartwarming. I actually cried. And she said she was crying as well, but yeah, it's really, really never too late. And, and, and this really ties into your question that you asked earlier about you know the perfectionism and did I feel that shame as well when I first started out I was absolutely a perfectionist it was like I need to do this right or else I'm gonna damage my kids forever and even though I started once my daughter was daughter was four I did constantly look back and like I can't believe I did that and I can't believe I did that and anytime I made a mistake I felt so terrible that I actually gave up I was like I'm done I'm not doing this way of parenting anymore it's a um, it's a failure I'm messing this up anyway I did a lot of that but then it would take only a few days where I'd be like no I actually really want this for my child so I'm going to continue. And and and, and then slowly I started having much more compassion for myself as a parent. Um, it's very interesting. I noticed that the more compassion I started having for my parents, the more compassion I started having for myself as a parent. So Ooh, it was kind of like so I true. was What do oh, you think?
0: That is so there is such a direct correlation. You are yeah. that is so true. Like the more compassion you had for your own parents, the more you had for yourself. Like until we forgive to whatever degree we are capable of doing, um, it is impossible to give ourselves the slack that we need in order to.
1: Correct, it was almost like I was beating myself up. I'm uh, um, Kind of like I was in a way, like every time I made a parenting mistake and I did something that my parents did to me, I was kind of beating myself up the same way I'd want to beat them up. You know what I mean? Kind of like the anger that was coming out. And as soon as I started being more, compassionate with them and understanding, you know, that they're humans and they tried their best and this is what they knew and all that. Then I started it automatically transferred to myself as well, where I'd make a statement and to be like, you're human, you're trying your best, you know? And, and then I started focusing le- much less on perfection and much more on growth and progress.
0: You know, whatever time you need or whatever way you need to process, whatever type of childhood you're trying to recover from, that is completely yours and you are on your own timeline. Um, And that there is absolutely, for me, um, there just became like this sort of turning point, like I'm either going to let this go and let myself be a human being, or I'm going to continue trying to be this perfect parent that, I mean, I'm driving myself completely insane and I didn't. I felt like some of my interviews here were actually motivated by that. And so I've taken this sort of break recently, which for me has been this reset. Like I I can no longer operate from this perspective of, I have to get this perfectly right. Like that's just not where I'm coming from anymore.
1: Yeah. And I've realized that there's no way I'm going to get it perfectly right. I've I've become so much more comfortable with my humanness. Yes. Meaning, I'm going to try my best and I'm really going to respect my children. I'm not not letting myself off the hook. Yeah. Time I realize that I'm human, I have blind spots I make mistakes and that there's no way I'm going to do this perfectly. And my children will likely have complaints, but yeah. to me, I'm okay with that. For me, my focus is much more on that. When they actually have those complaints, I will listen yes. and I will be there and I will hold space rather than getting all offended and being like, I didn't do that. Or how can you say that to me or you're hurting my feelings? I can actually hold space and be like, did I actually do that to you? Wow. You know and really because i know that that's extremely healing and of course so so yeah i i I kind of have like a more i guess holistic um uh, view of it rather than kind of seeing it as like it has to be you know extremely this way or uh, extremely perfect you know well that was
0: like an aha moment for me too was that my children are going to have their own experiences in this world that i have absolutely no control over people are going to be into them at school something's going to happen they're going to get a boo-boo they're going to have an accident And I have no control over that, but I do have control over how I react. And on top of that, I'm going to be one of those things. I'm not going to be perfect. I'm not going to be absolutely everything that they need. But when they do have a problem, what I can do, what I can control is that I can listen. I can be someone they can talk to about it.
1: Correct. Exactly. And that's really in my course and in everything that I talk about, I speak about the relationship, the attachment being the most important thing. And that's it. Well, you were discussing before with your own children when you mess up you're like well the bigger picture is different the framework is different than it was with my parents same thing it's okay I'll, I'll definitely make little mistakes or big ones sometimes um but the thing is the framework is different the relationship is one that is much more trusting much more connected respectful right all that and that doesn't change I
0: love what you say about respect, and I also love what you say about the parent-child relationship as far as the dynamic. You talk about how it is not a peer relationship. The parent is the nurturer and the guide, and the children is the recipient of that nurturing. I want you to elaborate on that. I get that on a visceral level. um, And I think that if you were raised that way or if you have unmet needs from your childhood, you absolutely can go into that relationship thinking, this is somebody who's supposed to meet my needs as well. And I, for anyone who hasn't ever thought about that, I want you to talk about it.
1: Yeah, okay, so exactly. So of course all of us have needs, right? And especially if we were raised in an authoritarian kind of home or in a home where basically our emotional needs, well, usually authoritarianism, our emotional needs are not met, right? The emotional needs for connection and care and, and love and all that. And what happens is it's all too easy to kind of burden our children with that because children are so loving and so forgiving when they're younger. Wait until they get older, right? They don't depend on us as much, but when they depend on us, they need us for their very survival. And so because of that, they're actually super forgiving, super loving, and it's very easy to then actually make them then responsible to meet our needs without intending to, completely unintentionally, because we're receiving that love and that connection that care and you know those hugs and the kisses we can actually almost make them responsible for it responsible to give that to us and so that's why you'll hear sometimes i've definitely heard parents say this and it could be i have even said it i don't remember though you know telling their kids something like do you love me or or give mommy a hug or a kiss now again sometimes a parent will say that and they're really need to say like do you want a hug or a kiss but you're yeah. actually really asking for it. And if, no, that's not your child's job. It's not your child's job to hug you, kiss you, love you. Yes, it may feel really, really good. And it's not wrong if it feels good that your child, you know, the relationship is supposed to be um, really nourishing for both people, for your child and for you, but the burden is not on them to give that to you. And that's why, and, and, and if we, we're not okay with that, then when they say, I hate you, or if they say like, I don't wanna hug right now, a parent can get really offended and feel like, wait, but you're supposed to give this to me. And they can kind of, yeah, like make their child responsible to sort of do that. And the child
0: like it. become, and, and becoming responsible for their parent, they can't really, they rest. can't really feel their own emotions and they can't really rest. rest. I remember getting worried that I had like an illness when I was in college, which I didn't end up having. But I remember having this huge awakening moment when I realized that my visual of being in the hospital was that I was sitting there and I was finding out I had this horrible disease And my parent was sitting next to me, and I was completely consumed with their devastation.
1: Mm -hmm. And I couldn't,
0: like, I couldn't even figure out how I felt about feeling this way. I was completely consumed with how the people around me were gonna feel. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that they knew any better. Like, I really don't think that that was something that was done to me intentionally. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is one of those things you talk about like seeing people in parking lots and kind of having like visceral reactions to the way that they're treating their kids. And so I can always tell, like, if I'm having a visceral reaction, it's because it's something that I clearly experienced. Yeah. And that is the thing when I see like that sort of dynamic of like the child being responsible, I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to talk more about this because I think I know a lot about it. Cause I've been to like, I don't know, 45 years of therapy and I'm 32, but <laughs> I think like we could probably have more conversations about that dynamic because I'm not sure everybody has read all those books and necessarily is as familiar. And I think it's so important that we raise children that know how they feel.
1: Yeah. I love that you mentioned the emotional aspect. You're hundred percent right, right? Children whose parents are, when the child comes and says like, you know, this and this happened to me, and the parent is devastated instead of holding space for the child's devastation. Then the child basically feels like, I can't come to my parent anymore with what's happening for me, or they become so concerned with how their parents' feelings, they start trying to rescue and save their parent. Like, don't worry, it's gonna be fine, I'm okay, or they stuff their feelings or whatever, and they're kind of, now they can't rest, they can't be, and they can't actually, like you said, figure out what's happening for them. So as a parent, it really is our job, and it, and only with, as a parent, like with other you know, people, we can kind of burden them with their feelings or whatever. I mean, obviously, to the degree, we're all responsible for our own stuff, but with a child especially, we need to be the, like, the one who is in charge. Who's kind of like, even if we haven't gotten it all together, in that interaction, we kind of have to be like, my stuff aside, and I'm going to hold space for my child and what's happening for them.
0: And that's being like, an adult, right? Which is exactly. like the ultimate challenge. Exactly. But it's what, we're, it's what we're asked to do.
1: Yeah, and you can take your stuff afterwards and speak about it with your therapist if you want, but don't bring it to your child. Don't bring it to your child.
0: Yeah so you are you are a parent coach that is your job what are the things that people come to you about the most often if you had to list like three
1: i'll actually i'll tell you what it is actually they come to me with what i call integrity children and i have actually an TV integrity, integrity children so that is. yeah yeah if you want i can actually ex- briefly explain the difference between either, i i compartmentalize i mean it's not my own uh theory but uh children who basically fall on two opposite ends of the spectrum we call integrity children and harmony children so i don't define it by symptoms I define it much more by what's actually happening inside for them or what's really like their driving motivation so integrity children actually okay so we all have two very primary needs one is to belong to another like all of us are born created like this uh to belong to another attachment connection And this is what uh-huh. I talk about often in parenting and we also have the need to belong to ourselves for authenticity okay now wow. we, we all need both in, in a healthy relationship, you have an equal balance of both. In healthy relationship with yourself, you have an equal balance of both, or more or less equal. Nobody's entirely equal. Now, but all of us are born more towards one end of the spectrum than the other, okay? So some of us are wired more for authenticity and some of us are wired more for connection, even though we, we all need both, okay? Yeah. So a wired more for authenticity to belong to themselves, they actually if they're in an interaction where they have to choose one like all other you're going to belong to your parent right now or you have to choose yourself they'll actually choose themselves a harmony child who's wired for connection will actually choose their their parent so let me give you just an example if let's say a child cries right yeah. they're crying about something that's an authentic expression itself they're expressing what's really happening for them they're being authentic and having integrity in that moment if a parent says stop crying right now or else i'm putting you in a timeout or whatever it is right they're threatening this connection even if temporarily a child who's wired for authenticity will actually just continue crying they may even cry louder right so they're like you're gonna you're threatening your connection with me but i'm not willing to betray myself in order to get that even though it's deeply painful for them and then a child who's wired for connection will actually try as best as possible to stuff those feelings down so they can stay in relationship with their parents this is the most
0: fascinating thing i've ever heard you describe both of my children almost exactly as though you're here Right, there you go. And I've never I never thought of it that way.
1: Yeah, and I know it was very, it was really, really mind blowing for me and life changing for me when I heard it. Because my child who's wired for authenticity, and this is where I'm going to go to what most people come to me with, is much more challenging, right? Because a harmony child is so much more pleasant, so yeah. much more easy to raise. Yeah. Make you feel a lot better about yourself because it's very easy they're they're literally wired to please you so they're they, you know they're so much more likely to, to go along with what you have to say and at the slightest displeasure that you show them they'll be like okay okay I'll, I'll do what you want me right they're much more wired that way where authenticity child is not none of that deters them none of that is actually motivation for them they're no. like
0: yeah, which so like, confuses because I was absolutely a harmony child. My youngest is. The how harmony was I? Child. Yeah. And so how many conversations that I had with my husband where I'm just like I'm trying to understand like her motivation here because it doesn't make sense to me. Like mm-hmm. I didn't operate this. This is completely outside of like my mm-hmm. a level of understanding. I can't. like who is this alien? I don't get you. Yes, Jack. it doesn't make because I I'm using things to motivate her based off of like connection, like which completely makes sense with my youngest kid. But yeah. it makes sense to me that you're saying this is what parents come to me the most about.
1: Yeah, because- so I was gonna say an integrity child, an integrity child, right? A child harmony yeah. is much more challenging, uh, you know, by our standards. And so parents mostly come to me with children like that. That's usually, like the children are harmony children, they're just like, they're coasting along, the parents think they're doing fine, even though sometimes they're not. And the child's really suffering underneath it all, but they just, it seems fine on the outside. The, the integrity children are usually the ones parents come to me with, like, what's wrong with my child? Help me with this. They're defiant. They don't, you know, and that's usually, um, and that's when I kind of like, well, do you really want to hear what I have to say? Because I'm about to shift your entire parenting. Yeah, so a child like that really, really thrives on collaboration, on us listening to their perspective, on us working with them. Taking the, like, you know, authoritarian approach in any sort of way is is doomed to fail with a Dude. child like that. And, yeah, to be honest, I think it do, it's doomed to fail with a harmony child as well. It's just that we don't see the effects, meaning the chi- a harmony child is betraying themselves, which we it doesn't look apparent to us, right? If we're using right. it as like parenting, they're betraying themselves. we you yeah. talking about like their spirit is kind of being crushed, but we yeah. don't necessarily see that. But it's devastating and it's really painful. Um, and, and, and it's so sad, it's heartbreaking actually. But we don't necessarily see that, whereas with an integrity child, it's much more obvious, like something's wrong here. As a child is not cooperating.
0: Yeah, I've spoken to a lot of parenting coaches actually about what you're now referencing as the Harmony child. Um, and a lot of them have all referenced exactly what you're saying right now, which is that this is the child that we often think is doing really well and doesn't really cause any problems, but underneath it all can really be suffering and through, throughout teenagehood um, can end up being kind of sneaky actually, because they, aren't seen. And so I'm always thinking about this. And I'm always thinking, you know, how can I make sure that even though you guys are two very different children and you clearly have two very different needs, I mean, I can hover over Violet in the same way that I hover over Selma, but it wouldn't make any sense. Like they require two very different types of parents. How do I, like, how do I, to the best of my ability, um, make sure that that child is getting her needs met, even though she's not going to communicate them to me as much as my louder child
1: yeah your harmony child so yeah it takes being really in tune right and, and that's really attuned attuned parenting is really something that i advocate for all the time this entire thing about considering their perspective and respecting them is all about attunement so of course attunement, not to perfection not to perfectionist degree but, but yeah attuned, yeah but attunement just you know really becoming anytime we're in relationship with somebody right we feel connected and close to them we naturally try to tune to them like what's happening for you now, what's going on for you and asking questions and kind of really noticing all the little things that might be going on to them. And of course, about developing a relationship, like talking to them and making room for them to speak to us and creating time and space for that. But it definitely takes a little bit more. Like I, I always feel like I have an entire child. I don't have a child, one of each, right? My entire child, I am not worried that she will not speak up for herself. If I do something wrong, or if I do something she doesn't like, or if she needs something, she will scream and let me know that this is what it's Oh, going yeah. To. Absolutely. She yes, you will know, let me know. And I find that so reassuring. When right. My child, I kind of worry about her a little bit more because she won't necessarily say, right? And if something's really going on for her, whatever, she might just be trying to keep the peace and not say what's actually happening for her. So I have to make it very safe for her to not feel responsible to keep the peace or to make things okay. Um, and I, can't, I tell her that a lot, you know, also like it's not your responsibility. And so it, it, it takes kind of giving that kind of reassurance to a child like that and also being attuned.
0: So it's one thing to, to put these things into practice with your own children, but it's another thing to start an account, to dedicate yourself, to sharing what you know with so many other people. What was it that prompted that for you? And what has that been like? Cuz you have quite a following. I mean, you have a lot of people paying it. I've actually seen your memes shared by several of my friends before I
1: actually discovered you. So Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. I think who shares a lot. I'm so <laughs> I'm so technologically advanced. It's amazing. I even have an in Instagram account. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it really started with like I said, with my own experience. I did not intend to share it with other parents, but I was so passionate about it. So the combination of finding this so life changing with the relationship with my child like you asked the question and i don't think i ever answered it like did i see a change with my children absolutely did she change did my child become a different person no completely not she never will but the relationship and the way she interacted with me and the way our entire parenting you know my entire parenting became so much more enjoyable and so much more meaningful when i started implementing this and so the combination of that Plus, my own experience as a child gave me, made me so passionate about this information that I literally shared it with anybody who was within earshot. Honestly, I used to work in an office. I shared it with every, asked them, asked all of them. They all knew about it because I shared it with everybody all the time. And it was many what you were worked, truly passionate about. Oh my goodness, you have no idea. Yeah. Most people weren't, many people weren't even interested, you know, but I spoke to them about it anyway because I was just looking for people to share with. And actually, a friend suggested to me, um, uh, who worked with me, She's like, why don't you share this with parents? She loved it. And she's like, why don't you share it like officially, like make a course, share it with parents. And I, I was very afraid to do that, but to kind of push me into it, which I'm so grateful to her for. And I did start actually sharing with parents just in my community. And that's when it kind of spread and parents loved it. And when I saw that I loved sharing it and parents really loved hearing it as well, that's when I opened an Instagram account. And I, I, find that that, I found that that gave me sort of the outlet I was looking for to share this information. And I stopped sharing it with people who weren't interested, like in the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> you're now only attracting the people who are like really looking for it. Correct. I Correct. love that also is that, yes, now I'm attracting the people who are already kind of like warming up to this information or really appreciate it on some level.
0: What do you say to people who are concerned that adopting any type of more gentle parenting strategy, and I won't even say gentle parenting because I almost feel like that's been like taken into its own. Oh it's my like gosh. I'm long. so with you. I hate the titles. Honestly. Oh, I'm I so was- glad you're
1: with me. I didn't know you would be. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't even believe in calling it something. I act I, every time I have to call it something because like, how do I refer what, you know, I need to refer to it. Right. So I'm always like, whatever you want to call it. It's not even about the name. I can't stand that it even has a name because then it's like, well, this is how we
0: do it. Like we're gentle parent. I'm like, well, no, you can't be that way all the time. Like nobody is this one. I interviewed this author. Her name's Megan Leahy. She wrote this book called parenting outside the lines. Well, I know her. Do yeah. you know her?
1: I mean, I don't know her personally, but I've, I've when I was in my obsession stage, I came across her and I looked at her stuff all the she's time. fantastic. Yeah. And I, she's
0: one of my most listened to interviews. If you haven't listened to it yet, the interview is the same title as the book. It's Parenting Outside the Lines with Megan Leahy. And she talks about how there's like 85,000 different parenting styles right now. And like <laughs> trying to choose one, which we're all like obsessed with, like, which one am I? Like, yeah. just, that's not life. Like you every child requires so many different types of, but mm-hmm. I would say that what you do, you know, is very, it's its intuitive parenting. It's mm-hmm. humane parenting. It's mm-hmm. gentle parenting.
1: Respectful, yes. Whatever. And what do
0: you say to somebody who kind of like sees that and then registers, well, like there's no boundaries or discipline here. Um, I can't do this. Like, yeah. what is your response to that?
1: That's very common. I get that very, very often. And mostly actually from the men. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be honest. Yes, totally. Yes, I get that very, very often, and and that really speaks to, I think, the nature of men and women and how we're different, but that's a whole separate conversation, But and the way we're conditioned and all that, but uh, yes, to be honest, when I first started out, when I kind of came across this information, I didn't hear any talk about boundaries. It was all like the connection and the relationship, and while all of it really spoke to me, I was like, nobody is telling me how to discipline my child. It could be maddening when you're only hearing about that. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, I find that people who come to me say the same thing. They're like, nobody's telling me that. I was like, everyone's saying, don't punish and your children, don't worry. There are boundaries and nobody, they're not running amok. They're, and I was like, how are you doing that though? And I realized, and this is what I realized after reading this information for a while that I was operating off of my old paradigm. I was operating off the paradigm of like children need to be punished in order to learn they need to have a consequence they need to be boundaries need to be enforced through you know threats or you know i i and i couldn't see it differently and i was like no one's saying anything around that so how do you even set boundaries how do you even what i didn't realize is that it's entirely different perspective where we Set boundaries through connection through collaboration it's so different that it's almost impossible to understand it unless you actually immerse yourself in it that's why when people ask them like come to my i can try as best as possible to explain it to you but come to my course and most people who do actually get a much better understanding and of course if you actually practice it and you see what it really looks like then of course you also do so there are definitely boundaries of course children need limits we need to keep them safe we need to again we don't need to uh, you know Be authoritarian about our boundaries. It's not like I get to decide everything. Uh, I think that's the thing is sometimes parents overstep their, you know, their boundaries where they tell their children, you know, they just What to do about everything when really it's not their place or it's not their role at all as a parent. Um, So of course we keep ourselves in check, but we do a lot through relationship for being assertive and really a lot of it does roll down to the relationship. So when a child really trusts you when they feel like you hear them and you respect them, they're much more likely to then brush their teeth when you say, oh, it's time to brush your teeth because it doesn't feel like, wait, you're encroaching on my autonomy right now and you're actually just being bossy. It doesn't feel right. like that to them because you're doing it very differently. And they're like, okay, we'll brush our teeth. Now, it's very hard for parents to understand that if the entire approach they've been taking up until this point is brush your teeth or else. <laughs> right? That's what I used to do. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Everything was or else. I was constantly taking away the iPad or threatening to. You right. know? So Yeah, that was my that was my entire parenting strategy. You know which i think a lot of parents it is not because they need to and some people parents even feel bad doing that they just don't know any different it's like how do i get you to how control? do i control this person
0: like and it's kind of from this place of i need to control this person and whenever i'm coming from that place more i things really hit a fan um if you will you know it doesn't it doesn't go as well um, but i love that and it's a gradual process it's a gradual process of like oh trusting. i love
1: that you mentioned that it is gradual exactly it's not like you one day shift out of that. You said, no, I continued, even though once I started implementing this in my home, like really, I loved it and it started, it took me two years. Yeah. It really did. Like I was threatened when it came naturally to me. And I also didn't have other tools and, and slowly, slowly when I started really building up that relationship and understanding how to collaborate slowly, then I start. I stopped. And since then I've never, I don't use threats. It's not even a thing that I do. Well, talk to me about collaboration because
0: you said that your one of your daughters said to you, like, "Mommy, I thought we were working together." Um, how does that? I mean, how do we collaborate with such a young child? What
1: does that really look like? Yeah, so I collaborate with my children a ton. That's actually one of my favorite things to do. Um, so the thing is that you can do it really. Again, uh, you don't necessarily have to do it with such a young child. I believe that when a child is like under five or something like that, then a lot it, it, it helps a lot of times to just have very clear boundaries and be like this is what we're doing and kind of you know move forward yeah. with it and take the steps you need to do to enforce it and and i talk about how to do that as well play is actually a great way to do it with younger children but when they get older and they start understanding how to negotiate and how to really consider your needs and their needs right so at five that's when children start being able to do that much more and have empathy and understand another person's perspective i'll sit down let's say we're struggling to get something done right And they're yeah. like, i don't want to and i'll sit down and say okay well let's talk about it let's 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 figure this out and i'll say like what what what's hard for you like why don't you want to do this what's happening for you and they'll share what's happening for them and then i'll share my perspective i'll say okay let me see explain to you what my concern is with this and what's and then my child hears that and and we brainstorm we're like okay considering this concern let's say you need to brush your teeth right let's say this is an example Okay, let's say it's like, you need to brush your teeth. My child like, I hate the way it feels and I hate the taste of the toothpaste and, and also I don't like, right? So then we actually take both of those and we brainstorm together. And I, I find that it's not necessarily that we think of the most amazing ideas that like, oh, they're rocket science, you know, like, it's more that you've taken the time to work with them and because they've actually come up with it with you, they're so much more likely. It's just the key to cooperation, honestly. Then they're just like, okay, Like, we'll do, okay, even if they don't love it, even if they don't whatever, they're so much more likely to do it.
0: What if we go to the store tomorrow and pick out a different color toothpaste? Do you want to help me? Do you want to have blue or green? Correct. Here's the thing. Tonight, we have to make sure our teeth are clean. So how are we going to do that since you don't like the toothpaste that we have? Could we use it this one night and then tomorrow we'll pick it up? You know, whatever it is. It's very counterintuitive, I think, if you were raised in any type of authoritarian style, which I don't know if anybody was talking about this in the 80s, but I mean,
1: <laughs> I think it was pretty limited, you know? Yeah, I actually had one friend, his mother used to do this with her. Really? I like, yes. I Oh, I was so jealous of her. And, and oh. I also looked up to her mother a lot. Like, I was like, I want to be that kind of mother. She very much worked with her kid. Like, to me, it was shocking almost. Like, I almost was like, Oh my god she's like not even treating her like her daughter like she treats her like an equal it was a little bit for me being raised in like you know authorities like you're the child you listen to me it was almost like is she even doing something okay like it kind of felt a little bit weird to me um but yeah she definitely would collaborate with her child and she was very much was still a parental figure and what's amazing to me is that she had so much more respect for her mother than any of us did for our parents
0: that's you such know? a beautiful thing to hear and remember how old do you remember how old you were when you had that I was in a teenager she was a teenager you're a teenager yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 so you can interact with teenagers respectfully i haven't been there yet so i don't oh, feel like yeah i, I don't, don't either like have a
1: teenager that. yet it's coming up very soon but i don't yeah. have. I, and but i speak to a lot of parents who do this who do have teenagers uh yeah but she was a teenager at the time yeah and, and it was so fascinating everything just it's so interesting looking back and seeing just so many ways in which she was different because of it you know yeah. if you would all go out and decide to do something really unsafe you know yeah, like, yeah. and she was the only one who actually was much more like, wait, maybe we shouldn't do this, maybe this isn't so safe, or maybe, right, so she was so much more in touch with, like, for us, it was like, oh, we can't do this, let's just do it. Whereas with she her- She so was more in touch with how she actually felt. Yes, exactly, like I say, her moral compass or her internal feedback system.
0: You that know, is I think so that,
1: beautiful. Yeah, I think that when we parent in this kind of way, it really helps children develop a very, very good internal feedback system, a very good system of recognizing, like, do I like the way this feels? Do I like doing this? Do I not do, do I not? Because we focus much less on us giving that feedback, and much more on tuning into their feedback.
0: Oh, that's so beautiful. I love it. I love it. I want to go through some of the posts on your Instagram really quickly before we wrap up that I have just been really struck by. um, That I I would love to hear you elaborate on since I have you here. I'm so lucky. Um, Quality parenting doesn't come from having all the answers. It comes from being the answer again and again and again. The most important thing our children need is a safe, trusting, and connected relationship with us. Therein lies the magic of effective parenting in the short and long term. So tell us a little bit more about what you mean. You don't have to. How many times have we been there Like when our child is asking us a question that we don't know the answer to?
1: Yeah. Or even sometimes an experience. Like, let's say a child really having a hard time with something. Someone's been at school or yes. know, they're experiencing a certain anxiety. I think many times we feel like we have to solve it or fix it or we need to know the answer. We're very focused on that and what we what we have to realize much more and of course we do have to do things about it. I'm not suggesting oh just let it go of course do whatever you need to do and but we don't realize that so much more than that is if we the parent, can actually just hold space for all their distress and for their anxiety and can be there as just just be there. Honestly, be there as somebody who they can rely on and trust and connect with and share that with. And like I said, for us to hold space for that, that in itself is literally where most of the answer lies. I think most- so
0: many of us had the experience of coming home if somebody bullied us or somebody wasn't nice to us and having the parents say like, well, oh my God, like we have to do this or like mm-hmm. their emotion was so big Um, Are you okay? And like, oh my God, I'm so upset. I'm going to call this person's parent. I'm going to handle it this way. Um, My therapist actually told me that her 13 year old daughter came to her recently and thanked her for not being the mom that always called the other kids' parents Mm -hmm. over every little thing because Mm -hmm. it's helped her so much in her relationships today that Mm -hmm. she really gave her the strength and like the tools to work these types of things out. And of course, there are absolute exceptions to that. But that we can just be this space, like the friend that we would want to have. You know, your friend that you call doesn't give you like a ton of advice and tell you what to do and freak out, right? The people you
1: feel safe with can hear you. Correct. And and there's something there's something about the parent. I mean, this is about it goes back to attachment theory. There's something about uh, uh, when you're attached to another person, you have that very strong deep connection. That in itself is actually healing and really buffers. Any pain that you might have, they have tons of studies on this, by the way. People going through, you know, really MRIs or really painful things, and if they have even a spouse who they're attached to holding their hand, they show that the pain centers in the brain are literally decreased. So they literally experience less pain. So that's what we mean. The relationship actually is a buffer against anything that's happening really outside of it it's really, really so much more powerful than we think it is.
0: A relationship is a buffer against anything that's happening outside of it. That is so beautiful. I'm going to remember that. That is amazing. I love it. I'm going to read you a couple more. When we tell a child off using language that implies wrongness or badness and without giving them the opportunity to explain or without empathizing with their perspective, it is a deeply painful and possibly even shameful experience for them. Example, You keep teasing your brother, that's very mean. I don't know why you would do that to him. A respectful example, I noticed you say, you're a scaredy cat to your brother a few times. What's going on, tell me more. Oh, he keeps yelling, stop, don't do that because he's worried you'll get hurt. And you don't like that because then you also get scared and maybe also feel angry because you want the freedom to decide for yourself. I get that, let's discuss it with him and find out a way to solve this problem.
1: Yeah, okay, so this actually I have to tell you that I personally struggled with this for a very long time, okay? So I adopted, of course, I tried to integrate this kind of parenting into my home, and when I was like, okay, I'm not punishing anymore, but I would lecture a lot, okay? Yes, <laughs> so oh, child, I
0: so like, identify with that,
1: yes. Oh, yeah. I do a lot of like, why would you do that? And, and you know how wrong that is? And you should write, and so I did a lot of that, and my child actually one time told me, mommy, just punish me better than you talking to me about it, and I didn't realize oh. that. I was like, really, is it that bad? Right. And then I'll tell you, when I had this epiphany, right, I actually posted something on Instagram um, that wasn't very sensitive and really was kind of, uh, it it was, it was not a good call. And people called me out. Now there were people who called me out in a really sensitive and really like respectful way. Like, did you mean to do that? Or maybe did you, right? Like they asked questions more and they helped me reflect on what I did. And I was like, you know, actually, no, that's not aligned with my values. I don't want to do that. And then there were those that kind of like assumed badness or bad intents on my part so they would say like it sounds like you were doing this and this and this and i can't believe you would ever do something like that or you know or even they didn't even say i can't believe you would do that they would just their their words uh, showed me that they assumed that i was it was coming from bad a bad place within me and that felt so i felt so ashamed and also so like oh my gosh like you're not even giving me room to explain myself. Like you're not even, and you're, you're already assuming that I'm bad, and this is coming from this bad place, you know. And I felt so stuck and trapped, and and that's when I had the epiphany. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is what my children feel like when I do this. When I'm basically without, I don't give them the time or the room or the, I don't to explain themselves or to even understand where it's coming from within them, and it feels so shameful and so unfair to them. You know, they kind of feel like you don't even see how this might have made sense for me or how I might have felt or what was going on for me. You just think I'm like the worst person and you're just, you know, shaming me for that.
0: Well, here's my epiphany listening to you share that story is A, we could learn so much from that as far as the way that we interact with each other on social media. People who make, quote, like mistakes um, and then are totally shamed by their audience. How can we change the way that we interact with each other as adults? and B, we probably do interact the way that we do on social media as 30 or 40 somethings full grown adults because of the way we were raised because of that sort of shame dynamic. That's what was done to us when we made a mistake. Mistakes are unacceptable, right? You we were canceled in essence as children. So of course we're going, I mean, I see that playing out. Like we're going to do that to other people because there are things that are absolutely intolerable. And yet these same people who are like, totally awake as far as parenting like they're going to be following you on instagram they're going to be raising their children in this way weren't raised that way and thus the way we interact with each other can be really defeating so mm-hmm. i just love that and that was why i wanted to that's why i wanted to share it i'm going to ask you about one more yeah um Doing and then- one thing.
1: i find it so based on what you just said i find it so fascinating how we can almost have like different parts of us like we can have a part of ourselves that's so compassionate and understanding when it comes to our children but suddenly we lose that with other people. You know, yes. and I find that even with myself, like I have to integrate this with everybody, not just with my children, or not just with, right? It's like, I kind of have to extend this and I want to everybody.
0: Yes, it's not just with our children, exactly. exactly. And we interact with other people the way that we were raised, the way that we, yeah. like our pro, it reveals our programming, the way that we talk oh, yeah. To yeah. and interact yeah. with other people. No matter which way you slice it, parenting is a struggle. However, with coercion and punishment, the struggle ends up being more and more disconnecting. And over time, with respect and collaboration, the struggle of remaining conscious and regulated ends up being more and more connecting over time. The question is, which struggle will we choose? I think we've talked a lot about this in this podcast, so I thought it would be a great way to wrap up. But what you're saying is basically that this is really effing hard, right? (laughs) It is. Parenting is... I think it's literally the hardest thing I've ever done. It's like, choose your heart. Hard. Sometimes I equate like going down the controlling route and like yelling and getting really upset with like going on a bender. Like I'm sort of like deciding, but Bleemi is is laughing at me right now. You can't hear it, but she's making a face. She's not like letting me sit here and deal with this myself. But like, it's like, I'm going out and I'm going to like smoke a bunch of cigarettes and drink a bunch of alcohol, even though like, I know I'm going to wake up and feel like shit tomorrow because I'm just so pissed. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. I'm so pissed. Yes. Definitely. There are times when I do that. I literally just like, yeah, I'm, like, I'm, I'm done. I'm like, that's it. I don't care anymore. Yeah. yeah I'm done. <laughs> I'm like, that's the hard that I'm picking in that moment. And then there's the other hard, which is very hard, but yeah. I don't have a hangover the next day.
1: Yeah. By the way, this was inspired by, I don't know how to pronounce his name exactly, but I think it's Vivek or Vive Patel. Yeah. He's actually, he's actually on Instagram, but he, uh, it was inspired by him. I heard him speak. And, um, it really resonated. So I decided to make it into a post, but it's so true. Like it's a struggle either way. It really is a struggle. Well, trust me. I've done both ways. They're yeah. Really... Uh, the thing is like, exactly over time, when you use control and coercion, that authoritarianism, we all know it's very disconnecting over time. It literally just makes the, it, the relationship with your child. It literally creates more and more and more disconnection to the point where then they become an adult. And there's really a lot of hurt and you know just damage and a lot of things in that was left in its wake um and also just this connection like even when they're once they're teenagers sometimes it's really hard to even have that relationship with them and then with conscious and respectful parenting it is really hard it's really hard yeah. to like in your impulses and to be conscious and to recognize what you're doing but over time it only becomes more and more connecting like the relationship develops more and more and it just you the the reward for that is incredible, right? And you end up having that and doing everything that you really wanted to do and having that relationship that you really wanted to have. You know, I have parents reach out to me all the time saying like, I want that relationship that you keep kind of like talking about portraying. But as soon as they start explaining how to get there, they're like, seriously, it's that hard? Yeah, <laughs> all that. No. Yes, it is a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, so it is a lot. But the thing is that it's work anyway. That's okay. yeah. the that really work. That, that is so true. Time. It is work anyway. Yeah. So that is so true. Like, Time, you know, what, what, what are you going to do with like that work? Where are you going to focus, focus that, you know?
0: Well, I'm so grateful, like on behalf of the planet that you're out there helping people do that work. You're just so special. And it was such an honor getting to chat with you, Bleamy. Thank you so much for coming yeah, you on. You are
1: so great at interviewing. I like, literally, I think I've shared with you, I, like I've done many podcasts and I, I haven't shared this kind of, um, the angles that I've shared from with you. So I really appreciate all the questions and the way you actually guided the interview.
0: Thank you. That means so much to me. You all have been listening to Blamey Heller. She is on Instagram. She is at unconditional underscore parenting if you're not following her yet. I highly recommend you do so now. Um, Thank you again for joining me today and thank you all. I'm your host, Laura Max Rose. I hope you liked that last episode of Look Ma No Hands. Feel free to take a screenshot, share it with a friend, or leave a review on Apple Podcasts so more people can hear it. If you want all the Look Ma No Hands updates, follow me on Instagram at Froze. I look forward to joining you again next time.